And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 51 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, November 3rd, 2014. Well, tomorrow's election day here in the U.S., and do you know where you stand on the issues? Are you not going to vote? You know, there's an old saying that I think is pretty fitting these days that says the difference between a democracy and a dictatorship is that in a democracy you vote, and then you have to deal with the small-minded politicians. And in a dictatorship, you don't have to waste your time voting. But enough of that cynicism. Make your voice heard, people. Go vote. And also vote where your opinion counts the most, and I mean giving us a review on iTunes. Here at PNR, Joe and I are your trusted representatives to make your content marketing fun, interesting, and hopefully educational. As always, get your early subscription on on Tuesdays and then stop by the blog post on Saturdays at thisoldmarketing.com where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we rant and rave about here. And we approve this message. Okay, it's time to bring this Congress of Content to order by introducing my colleague, my co-host, and good, good friend coming this week from inches away from my face in a hotel room here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Please welcome the always great, the eminently electable, the president of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? This is the first time. It is. You know, we've had the live versions. That's right. From Sydney and then from Content Marketing World, but we've never actually done a real PNR from the same room. And face to face. We're sort of of cuddling here as we... (laughs) Around the around the microphone, but we do have this could be really interesting. Something special to say for yes, the hotel indeed. room here in uh, in Hilton. Uh, sure, actually, miss yeah in Charlotte. I'm yeah. sorry, uh, they're missing a mini bar. Yes, which we really <laughs> we really missing right about we were now. Really hoping for uh, a drink or two, but yeah. actually, uh, I need to say a couple things because the marketing department at Content Marketing Institute is hard at work trying to come up with more ways to for us to get reviews. And by the way. We asked for more reviews last week, and we got a few very, very nice awesome reviews. reviews. So thank, thank you so you. much for that. And as most of you know, next week is our one-year anniversary dun, dun, dun. of this old marketing. So it's very exciting. So we wanted to do something special for this. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we would like you from now, so it's the 3rd of November. So from the 3rd of November until Sunday... November 9th. Midnight. If anybody hears this on the third, then they're they're really going to be special. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're. I think we're excluded. Yes. Well, well okay. We, yeah, right. we can't be in this. Okay. But if you from now eleven three until Sunday eleven nine midnight Eastern time, we are going. Go ahead and make a review. Uh, tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you think. Be completely honest. We want honesty, obviously. And then what we're going to do from anyone that does any kind of review from now until 11, 9, midnight Eastern time, uh, we are going to draw somebody's name at random and that person will get a $100 iTunes gift card and we're going to announce that name on the next show. This is not a competition. Not a competition. It's just something fun that we're doing. That's right. At random. For random things, Randomly. random random purposes, at random, totally random, and uh, and please do that. So we'd love to hear from you. We're trying to get everyone more involved in the PNR community, and uh, we'd love to do something special and celebrate with you our one year anniversary. So that's the one thing I wanted to get out before we get started. 
That is fantastic. So there we go. That is and, fantastic. And, and happy almost anniversary. How do you feel? I know. I, I feel great. I feel, I, I feel closer to you than <laughs> ever before, really. I mean, <laughs> figuratively and literally. I feel I mean, like it's, yeah, like we're spooning almost. Yeah, this all is, right. Okay, let's Maybe move on. Maybe on to the news now. <laughs> is there a crisis of confidence in content marketing is our top story of the week. Um, this comes to us from business2community.com, which I'm sure was repurposing it from somewhere else. And author David Dodd is asking if there is a crisis of confidence in this new trend called content marketing. He ends up pulling a lot of research, including, of course, research from CMI, the B2B study, the B2C study, and among others, and and really asks if there is a confidence gap here to success. And he concludes at the end of the article... Without compelling evidence that content marketing is producing significant value, the support for it may begin to wane. Um, in, and he, then he promises in a future post to, of course, discuss how they can approach the challenge of measuring this impact. And I didn't really think much of the article. I thought the article was fine, but I thought the topic of it was worth really discussing here. So, I mean, what did you... Do you are we in a crisis of confidence right now? Well, I think it's probably... A good time, and, and they cite some of the stats here. Let's, let's talk about them a little bit. And our research talks about this: thirty-eight percent effectiveness. People that rate the are you effective at your content marketing? So thirty-eight percent of those people said yes. So that means that well, if I can do math, sixty-two yeah. percent are saying that they are not effective. That's a problem. Uh, if you look at measurement statistics, and they cite some of these in here, the measurement statistics are twenty percent and under. Whether you look at, we've got our nonprofit study coming out soon. If you look at B2B, B2C, or nonprofit, they're all around 20% feel that they can actually measure their content marketing. So from that standpoint, you know, you talk about this all the time. This is a this is still a new muscle that right. we're trying to get used to. We've got to work this thing out. This is not a campaign. We need to be patient with it. And honestly, I think that we, we want those quick results. And you're not going to get quick results with content marketing, especially as in a lot of cases, we're seeing the revolution or the evolution of the marketing department sure. happen in front of us. So, I mean, I don't know if there's a – is this a crisis? No, no, I don't think it's a crisis. I think it's a a new evolving practice, methodology, approach that is earning its wings. And I think in many cases, one of the reasons that – you know, look, the, the lack of measurement is nothing that is unique to content marketing. You know, digital measurement – um, and we'll talk about this at some length in a couple of the other stories, is a struggle enough, right? The old John Wanamaker, you know, I know half my marketing is successful, I just don't know which half, has never been more true. More data has not helped that, broadly speaking, in marketing. So the measurement challenge is that what I think is getting the struggle is, is that in many cases what we have are marketing departments that are looking at content as a project, as a campaign, and are struggling to make it an apples-to-apples apples comparison to the direct marketing that they're used to doing. And so trying to draw that direct line between content marketing and sales, they're confusing success of the content for contribution to the business. And that in itself is a, is a really hard thing to try and you know uh, come to grips with. And so to your point, it really is about changing the, the way that we measure, not necessarily just what we measure. And that's the real... Um, that's the, and then of course there's the strategy piece to this as well. So is it a crisis of confidence? I don't think so. I think it's, we're just not very good at it yet as, you know, as a, as a practice. Well, this actually was interesting because most of the coverage that we had from our stats this year, our research that we did 
was all on the negative, of course. Everyone said, I want effectiveness problems. And, of course, we're to blame for that because we talk about it more than anybody, that there is a there is an issue. Uh, a lot of people aren't feeling very good about what they're doing right. in content marketing. But to your point, is this just everything in marketing? Yeah. It's, just, it's advertising. It's digital marketing. It's probably their... Uh, their native advertising ads. I mean, everything is a little bit like I'm just trying to figure this thing out. That's right. That's right. Marketing is hard. Get you know, welcome to the party. And it, you know, this whole thing with content marketing is adding to the complexity and and by the way, I believe the strategic value of marketing more broadly. So it's difficult. It's challenging. And getting beyond the noise today is a very hard thing to do. This is the reason why I believe passionately so that marketing is the unique and distinguishing strategic part of the the business these days. It is our approach. It is how we differentiate in, in the market today. And you know, looking at it any differently is we're going, you know, we're going to be doomed to mediocrity. And so I look at it as a not a crisis necessarily. Well, look, crisis, the, the definition of word of crisis is, is just change. You know, the Chinese have a proverb that, that, that crisis is change riding the dangerous wind. And so it's just change is all we're doing. We're going through a disruption in the process of marketing. And those that understand it and get good at it will be the ones that succeed. I mean, that's the, you know, sort of a, sort of a no-duh statement. But it, but it ultimately gets to the point of, the buzz around it will die eventually. And the real work begins to make this thing an actual practice. And that's the, the you know, the, the hangers on that are just looking at this thing as a buzzword will drop off and fail. And those that really put the work and sweat and blood and tears into this thing will succeed. Well, David Dodd, who is the author of this piece, asked the question, maybe brands will not employ content marketing the practice of content marketing because right. of this. Do you believe that that's, I mean, my, my first answer to that would be, well, what else are they going right. to do? Like, right. are we going to spend more on advertising? Like, right. or what are, what are we, we going to interrupt more? Right. Or, I mean, it makes me think like, you know, we've been through this, you and I figuring this content marketing Institute thing out as we're going. If we would have looked at it at two years, two and a half years, and we would have said, well, we're not get, quite getting the results because we really weren't. At right. the first two and a half, yeah. We just said, you know what, it's not working. Right. But yeah, you know, now here you and I were just talking before this about some of the amazing things that are going on right now because we're in our seven and a half year of the right. program, exactly of the practice. I don't know if brands. I mean, that's a lot of turnover of CMOS and issues. I mean, and we're a small company, so it's easier for us to do it than the large enterprises that you're working with. Well, I think it's it's easier and harder. It's harder to turn the ship, but they also have a much deeper set of resources. You know, there's there's arguments and fun and interesting debates and arguments about how actually it's easier for larger companies to actually innovate because they can actually afford to put weird, innovative, you know, sort of skunk works together out there on the fringes where they can afford to have them fail for seven years, where a small business actually can't. Yeah. And that's you know that that's something that's really interesting to look at the the other thing that i would say is is that you know 15 years ago a boss of mine once said that you know 5 10 years from now no this is 15 years ago he's saying this he said 5 10 years from now not every business will have a website but every successful business will and i believe that today about content marketing no not in 5 years not every business will be doing content marketing but every successful business will be in some in some manner i think that that 
I mean, if you look at the most successful company, we should actually do a study on that. We should do a, a look at, uh, at how do we, first of all, how do we, so this is a totally different research project we're working on right now. Let's look at the, how do we define success, whether maybe we look at public companies and the most successful, and then we should look at their content marketing strategies. Like Google's a really good one. Most people think, oh, Google doesn't create a lot of content. Google has so many simultaneous content programs going on. Right. It would blow, like their Think program is unbelievable. Sure. The stuff that they're churning out, and I don't think people realize it. So we should take that upon us to do that. Mantle accepted, my friend. Mantle, <laughs> Mantle accepted. Here we go. I am, it is a, you're hearing and, it and here You'll first. hear the results about two years from Fine. now. It's adding, I'm adding it to the research agenda as we speak. I'm typing madly. All right. On next. to the next story. Here we go. This, uh, the, this article I absolutely adored. I adored this article so much, I have to tell you, that I actually emailed the editor because I'd never heard of this magazine before. And I actually emailed the editor to tell them how much, because for some weird, strange reason, the, the comments are closed on their on, on their article, which was published last week. But nevertheless, the, the, the title of the article is The Digital Age Burying the Advertising Industry. And this comes to us from Industry Leaders Magazine, which is an interesting magazine, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Um, <clears throat> and the author of the article is one Anna Domanska, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing Anna's name correctly there. Um, and... She writes basically a history lesson for us. And, you know, the, the one thing I said when I, when I wrote the editor, I said, you know, the one thing I miss here is, is that you didn't really go any deeper into this because it was so great of a tee-up. And then I really missed sort of getting deeper into this topic. Anyway, she talks about it, how in 1994, this guy, Ed Arts, who was a CEO of Procter & Gamble, um, made this speech, which I guess has really become sort of one of these seminal speeches um, that the advertising industry was buzzing about. And basically, he ended up making all these predictions. And some of them were just amazing. And the article goes through a number of the predictions, some of which he got right and some of which he didn't, but most of which he did. And the one that really stuck out to me, and then I want to get your take on this, Joe, because the one that stuck out to me is he said, if we don't influence changing technologies, if we don't harness them, loyalty to our brands could suffer in the long term. If user fees replace advertising revenue, we're in serious trouble. New media suppliers will give consumers the what they want at potentially a price they're willing to pay. And he then goes on to talk about how content is really super important and how advertising needs to understand technology and whatnot. And it's just a, it, it, just a fascinating set of predictions here. And, and, and to me, it wasn't necessarily that the advertising industry doesn't get technology. To me, it was the advertising industry doesn't and still doesn't today get content. And that is just, I mean, the discussion there can go, well, anyway, what did you think about this? Well, I thought the one interesting part was in, so this was from 1994. 1994, this guy is making these, so these statements. 20 years ago, at that time, 35% of content out there was viewed, did not have ads in it. Right. So the other stuff came from member sites. Today, it's 60 to 65%. Right. But what you need to take into consideration when you're thinking about that, yes, it's the Netflixes of the world, it's sure. the HBOs of the world, but it's also the brand sites. Exactly. Don't, so that's where I think that this was so close, 
but missing the idea well because because the the whole frame was it seemed to be look if we don't figure i mean users are going to pay for this content and we're going to be shut out of having any kind of conversation with them because they won't see our ads if you had just taken it one step further and said hey we could be the content Right. Instead. Well, it presents the problem. It doesn't present the solution, right? right? Which is really where I wanted her to go with this thing. But knowing that we were going to have a show tonight, I said, well, we can come up with the answers for this for her. You know, I mean, to me, it was it was I mean, look, it's breaking news today. Literally, it happened this afternoon. Publicis, the second largest, I believe, or third largest uh, advertising company on the planet, bought Sapient today, um, just announced. So creating a new group called Publicist.Sapient or some stupid thing like that. And basically <laughs> creating this very, very large company. I mean, this is Maurice Levy basically with change in his pocket going jing-a-ling-a-ling. And he needs to spend it on something because the Omnicom deal didn't go through. And so he bought Sapient. At an so, unbelievable premium. At a huge premium, yes. He he basically he paid for the cow, as it were. Wow. Yeah, and so um, with that in mind... To me, what it just says is is that the the advertising industry and I'll and I'll put publicists in this in this bucket right now still looks at digital as an advertising platform, and this is the fundamental thing that I think is is evolving and changing and shifting. Going back to what we just talked about with regard to content, this is what's changing. And if agencies, if ad agencies, we've talked about this on the show before, if ad agencies don't understand this, don't get this about content, they are going to be left in the dust. And brands are going to just take this over and ad agencies will become a commodity. And and that is, you know, take that to the bank. It just seems like in, in with a lot of the agencies we talk to, it's still about getting attention, getting activity, but not about building audience. Right. And if you had come at it from how do we develop a relationship with somebody where, and you say this all the time, where we can add value outside of the product or service that we offer. That's right. We can build a loyal audience and that really means something to our business. I don't see a lot of large advertising agencies looking at it quite that way. I don't either. I mean, you know, look, I mean, there are exceptions to this for sure. I mean, we've we've both worked with large ad agencies that have this little these little pockets of content things going on even sapient i've done work and a lot of them have purchased smaller exactly. what i would call traditional custom publishers that's and right. content marketing agencies yes. that's right and i've seen you know from sapient itself i've worked with a few people at sapient who are actually trying to get this going in the organization but they're still i mean even in the press release you can see they're talking about digital advertising and programmatic ad buying and and digital interruptive based advertising and it's fascinating to me that this is the value that they put on this. This is the value that publicists put on this was basically we need to be relevant in digital, which is everybody's take on this. Basically, publicist says we need to be relevant in digital, so we're going to buy the largest digital agency there is and basically overlap all these other things that we already have, like Razorfish, and we're going to think that this is somehow going to make us more relevant in the digital advertising space, and that's not true. That's not true. You just made a bigger version of yourself. It's like, you know, you're you're already fat and you went and had a pizza. You know, it's like, I, I just don't, I don't get the acquisition other than for, you know, I guess it's going to make a lot of lawyers and, and shareholders a little more money. You know, publish the stock is back up again today, but... We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think this is, uh, you know, we get off a little bit of the track here, but the, the, the idea of advertising industry 
getting disrupted from what this guy was talking about 20 years ago is is incredible. And to me, it's just what what resonated me with me so much was this sort of siren call to content because that is the future. That is where we're drawing our value now. I'll tell you what, though, it's worth reading for the fact that it got a lot right. Yeah, absolutely. Did get yes. a lot right. Absolutely. This was '94, and this—I mean, this was most people didn't have websites at all. No, exactly. We were just getting started. I was still on CompuServe. I was—I was. Well, you're a lot older than I am. Oh no, (laughs) we did that. Oh dear. You did what? You did. No, you didn't. CompuServe. (laughs) All right. Let's go there. No, no. By the way, I was on Prodigy. So we'll see. You were a loser. Next. Anyway, so the next story, I know you're excited about this next story because, one, it's very meta, what we're about to talk about, and two, you're uh, just all over it. The title of the article is, What is Behind the Podcast Renaissance? Um, This comes to us from New York Magazine, and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful article that talks through some of the history of podcasting to begin with, talking, you know, starting in 2001 when Steve Jobs announced the original iPod, the music player that's going to make it possible for people to carry around thousands of songs in their pockets. And then basically because of that name, this idea of narrative audio came about, which was podcasting. And it became this like mini industry for a bit. And there were like NPR shows and radio shows and some of them, you know, were like, you know, just hacked together like Wayne's World in the basement. But then it sort of went through this little dip, if you will. And now it seems to be just back in like, I mean, you know, the irony of this show notwithstanding, the, you know, podcasting is going through this huge renaissance. What, I mean, what say you? It's interesting. So there's some, first of all, hats, uh, hat tip to Douglas Burdett. And Douglas is a regular listener, sent this over to us, so thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Um, What's interesting, Tom Webster, uh, part of Edison Research, and they're quoted in this, 39 million people listened to a podcast last month, the highest number on record. So what we're seeing is there is so much greater access to podcasts out there that we're just seeing this growth, and it was a second renaissance of podcasts, and they go through a lot of this in the article where they talk about, okay, why is this? Why is this now the golden age of podcasts? One is it doesn't take a lot of staffing and resources. I mean, look at us. We're, <laughs> we're in a hotel room uh, recording a podcast here. Um, so the economics, is, it's obviously from that standpoint, it doesn't take much to get going. Um, what I believe and what you and I have seen firsthand is that the people that listen Two podcasts. They're your true believers. They're the, your best customers, your your best advocates yeah. for your business. We've seen it yeah. when we went to... Very few randomly listen to podcasts. You either are in or kind of not. Well, when we did the live show in Sydney, Australia, and we just, what, we were gone, going like four or five months at that time with right. the podcast, yeah. and like 75% of the people there had, were listeners. I'm right. like, you've got to, like, you, first of all, you guys got to get lives. <laughs> Second of all, I can't believe it. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Um, we're... But the the one thing that got me from this article that I really love is the whole thing around the car. And the article goes on and says, really, this whole thing is actually about the cars, where I think it says something like, by 2015, almost half of all cars will have the ability to easily play podcasts, either from your smartphone or directly through whatever the 
system is you have in the car. iOS is going in. What is it? The new BMWs have the new iOS? Yeah, so Apple CarPlay yeah. is huge. Yeah. And then this, I didn't even hear of Android Auto, but I guess that's the Android version. Okay, of I haven't heard of that. I didn't yeah. hear that either. So 2015, you're going to see 50% of all cars sold. And they're saying 100% by 2025, which I actually think it'll be it'll happen before then. Sure. That seems like a big, big stretch. How, how I'm ready for my, like, you know, my Back to the Future hoverboard in 2025. I, if only, right? <laughs> if only we can get there. But I think that when we did the research, back kind of back to the research again, we looked at what what's the difference between the most effective content marketers out there right. and the ones that are right. struggling a little bit more. We found the biggest gap. So the biggest confidence gap, if you will, or the biggest differentiation between the great content marketers and not so great were in two tactics. One were printed books, and number two were podcasts. So I don't know why is that. It could be because we found a channel that you can really, I mean, what, what other channels can you get 30 to minutes to 60 minutes of somebody's time? And you're trying to say, okay, well, what, what time during the day can, can we get their attention? And a lot of it is commute time. Yeah. So I think this whole, I think that's the biggest thing with the cars and I guess to the brands out there. I mean, there's, I don't know the downside if you're really trying to target a particular niche and we know not everybody right now is going to listen to podcasts, but a good portion are. And I mean, we talk about this all the time. What a, it's not just one thing. It's not just one piece. It's, sure. not a blog. it's not a blog, right? It's like, how do I deliver in whatever channels make sense for where our customers are at? And a lot of times that's in the delivery mechanism they have with them at all time, which is their smartphone, which is now connected to the other device that they're in a lot, and that's the car. Yeah. So. There, I mean, there is a challenge a bit, you know, even, even if it's not technologically difficult to do this. I mean, because quite literally, folks, we're sitting here with a laptop and a microphone and another laptop, you know, on, quite literally on our lap. So it's, it's technologically very easy to do it. But there is a certain level of uh, either, you know, call it practice or, you know, willingness to sort of go for it that a lot of people may be, you know, people may be shy. They may not feel like they have the talent. They may not actually be good at it. So there's there is like video and like books. I would sus- I would suspect that there is a a level of can we actually pull this off sort of fear that goes around this as well. And for that, I I, I think you can, you know, one of the things that I think is often mistaken is is that we think our story isn't very interesting, right? You know, and as you've said very often, you can't go too niche, right? There is somebody that is passionate about your business and hopefully you're passionate about your business. And so there's an audience there and it doesn't have to be huge. You can reach them through a podcast and it can be, you know, a thousand downloads or 500 downloads or whatever the number is really doesn't matter as long as you're reaching the people that you're meaning something to. If you're being remarkable to them, it doesn't matter, how big it is. You're not trying to drive advertising revenue. You're trying to drive the right number of people to listen to your stuff and be passionate about it. That's the opportunity here. So the one way that we need to not think about ourselves as a media company is we don't have to be big. We don't have to have a giant audience. We have to mean something to the audience that we do have. I think the last thing that I want to leave, because we we just talked to a, a client the other day about this and they have, you know, there's a C, right? You you want to take from your CEO. Everybody says, well, we want to get the CEO involved in our content for whatever reason that is. But the CEO is busy, doesn't like to write, can't figure out how to do that. And in a lot of cases, it's just getting them in front of a recording device. It's a great and point. Being able, it's a great but the, point. But the one thing that 
that a lot of people don't realize. So let's just take the podcast out of it. It doesn't have to be a podcast. You can get the audio content and use that audio content in, in many, many, many ways. different ways. That's right. Like, for example, okay, this is the show. The show will be distributed an hour after we get this done. And then there's a blog post after that, which feeds our e-newsletter, which then there's a re- there could be an e-book review, which we're working on. There's lots of things. So I don't think that it's not just a podcast, and I think that's what it's you a burlesque to... show. I think as well, oh, isn't there at some point? Now I definitely need a beer. But anyways, great. I guess all I'd say is look into it, and it's an opportunity if you're trying to differentiate in a channel that I really believe. The article says that they feel that there's a there's a point coming where there's too much content. Almost like a lot of people feel there's too much content on the web, which is not true. But you feel like there's all kinds of content. I still feel like on in most categories, if you go into iTunes, there's just not a lot of competition right now. Yep, absolutely. So you can easily make an impact because if somebody's looking for something on audio about you know people that I, I want something about pet supplies for people that like to travel with their pets in southern Florida, you know what? There's a yeah. niche for that. <laughs> and there's an opportunity right now for all of you that want to go that direction. So there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Pets in Florida. You hear it here first, folks. Our last story of the show is from Ad Age, of all places. Um, and it's uh, about our friends at Verizon. And the headline is Verizon's new content marketing tech website hits a snag. Um, the article is about. This uh, it, it talks about Verizon's latest effort into content marketing, which is this site called Sugarstring, which is a news website um, that Verizon has sort of quietly launched, I guess. And, and I hadn't heard of it before this article came out. And it was uh, by its own sort of account as thoughtful, tech-focused stories, news stories. And basically then this other publication, The Daily Dot, reported that apparently the editors of this new site forbid any stories on the website dealing with two specific topics, espionage and net neutrality. Now, of course, you can understand why Verizon is not necessarily talking about this, but they took issue with that. Um, Verizon then came out and denied the accusations, which I don't know why they would necessarily do that, but they did and said basically Sugarstring is a pilot project from Verizon Wireless Marketing Group designed to address trends, especially those of interest to our customers, says the spokeswoman, and basically says this uh, Sugarstring is open to all topics that fits its mission and elevates the conversation around technology. What say you? Are they being discriminatory by not covering topics, Mr. Polizzi, or they're, is this something different? They're being as discriminatory as Fox News and MSNBC are. Yeah, exactly. So everybody has a bias. Everybody has a slant. I'm sure that if you go into Fox News, you have to have a certain take on Obama. And if you go into uh, MSNBC, you have to have a certain take on the Republican Party. Uh, there's, I don't think there's any difference in that. I guess... And actually, our, our good friend Shane Snow from Contently is, is mentioned this in this article, and I completely agree with him. It's very hard for brands to get into the news business. And if I was making a recommendation to Verizon on this, I would say cover the cover the how-to, cover the informational, uh, add value to your customers, figure out what their challenges are, have a different story, a different take on that. But do you necessarily have to talk about the news? No. I, I don't think you do. So. I don't think you do either. I, and I think, you know, but but 
Even if they do, right? Yeah. I mean, even if they do, it's well within their right yeah. to say, you know what, this is what we're going to talk about. And why did no, they, it's not. Why fair. did they do no Here's, comment? I, 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 this is I comment. Mean, yes, exactly. Say, say we're we're not a news site, right? We're we're covering stuff that our customers care about, and this is what we're talking about, right? And sorry. I mean, go, there's lots of people go, talking about espionage exactly. and net neutrality, and it's not going to be us. I mean, let's look at the flip side of this, right? So one of the one of the case studies that I'll often talk about, and on the social side, when we talk about things like social governance, um, that I absolutely love is the Dove campaign for Real Beauty, and on the Dove campaign for Real Beauty, they actually on their Facebook page. I haven't been to their Facebook page in some time, so I'm not sure if it still says that, but it used to actually say, "Here is what we're going to talk about here." And if you don't talk about these things here, you are going to be deleted. Your comments will be deleted. This is what this forum is for. If if we perceive any negativity in what you say here, it will be deleted. So just fair warning, right? And it's their right. It's absolutely their right. It's their property. It's their their magazine. It's their publication. It's their media. They can do with it what they want. You can like it or not. Mm-hmm. Right and and that's the that's the real key here. So I have no problem with Verizon not covering anything they don't want to cover. Makes I mean it makes perfect sense. I just get back to like it was a big conspiracy that they're trying to hide something. I right. think everybody knows well, why they don't want to talk about net neutrality. Uh, yeah, exactly. Lots of people are talking right. about Verizon and that, espionage and yeah, NSA absolutely. stuff and all that kind of stuff. And this is this is one of those things where I think it's much ado about nothing. I think the worst thing here is is that they. They should have just went, you know what, no, this is none of your business or no comment or something like that. It's almost like uh, somebody coming to us and say, you need Content Marketing Institute, you need to talk about more advertising. Yeah. We don't talk about advertising here. Advertising Age can talk about advertising. We don't talk about advertising. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, enough about that. Speaking of advertising... We have a beautiful, well, I mean, it is just, it's our favorite. It's back. Well, we have to say it's our favorite. Not that we don't love all of our sponsors. No, they're always our we favorite. We all love them they're all. They're like children. We love them all equally. Yeah. But our... This one our, is an awful equal one, though. Exactly. Well, Emma, uh, the, the wonderful email provider, Emma, because they've been our sponsor for the most part. I would say that at least 25% of all of our podcasts have been sponsored by Emma and they're back and it just so happens that they're back during our anniversary pre-week, week, post-week. We're going to celebrate it as long as we can. They're giving away a new wonderful piece of content just released. Of course, they do it the way you're supposed to. Got a great piece of content. It's called Automation Demystified, a modern marketer's guide to email automation. So I've got the, you know, I'm trying to figure, okay, what is this about? Here's what you're going to learn in the Modern Marketer's Guide to Email Automation. You're gonna learn how to create undeniable value for subscribers. We love subscribers. We wanna create value, this is good. Welcome new subscribers without creating new content. I wanna know more about that. Boost conversions with timely sends based on lifecycle milestones, another good one. And become an email automation expert. And they put no French required, which seems very important (laughs) as well. Really? I'm no good. Thank goodness. Exactly. S'il vous plaît. <laughs> so you can go to bit.ly.com slash PNR dash auto email. 
That's pnr-auto-email to download it, and obviously it'll be in the show notes on Saturday when we release this out. Please support our sponsor. Get this. What I love about this is I'm not. we're not just sending you to something that's not going to help you. We really feel it's this is going to so help good. you. And email automation is critically important. We, we struggle with it all the time. We're trying to work on it at Content Marketing Institute. Here's a real piece of advice that's going to help you. Go ahead and download it. And thanks to Emma again for being a wonderful, wonderful sponsor. Thank you to Emma. That is just fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is your favorite time of the show. It is our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that's got our hackles up or something we want to show a little love toward. And here in Charlotte, we're going to show a little more love. And so since... uh, since you have this old marketing, you are going first. Oh, I, this time. Yeah, it's a rarity. I actually yeah. have this old marketing. But for, so I have uh, a specific rave that I'm going to talk about here. But I actually wanted to get your take, and I just wrote this down. Have you seen the LeBron Nike ad? I have. It's amazing. So I just have to. The reason. So if you haven't seen it, it's a two-minute advertisement. It's a really compelling story, actually. Uh, about LeBron and coming back to the city of Cleveland. He's done this with actually with Beats by Dre. He did his reestablished 2014 program with Beats by Dre. LeBron James has also had this basically this love letter back to the city of Cleveland. It's amazing. They shot it in secret in Cleveland and put it out on the opening night where uh, Cle- where LeBron came back and, and played with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, what I think is awesome, and I'm going to do more research on this, and I'm totally intrigued. I read an article, which was in the Plain Dealer, which is Cleveland's paper, went through and said basically LeBron chooses all of his sponsors based on whether it's in line with his personal mission. And I got to get more info. So I'm just telling you about I think this. That's to- true. From what he, from all what, right, all right. I don't yeah. know. Okay, like I don't know if. Him being in a McDonald's commercial and talking about the Monopoly game, is it within his personal mission? Sure. But what he's doing for Sprite and what he's doing for uh, with Beats by Dre and what he's doing with Nike absolutely seem like it. Because he's like, if they if it's going to increase his value and be in line with whatever he's trying sure. to do from yep. a philanthropic standpoint, I just think it's an interesting take about what you can do with a brand and partners. That's that aside. So I just wanted to rave a little bit about that one. Uh, this next, this is a story that comes from the New York Times, and CNET, one of our probably you know favorite technology site, long time been around for a long time, digital only site. They've actually decided to go with a print publication, which just shocked me, and I just wanted to send out a little rave to them. They're going to sell it on newsstands like Costco, Target, and Walmart uh, with a five ninety nine price. LL Cool J, everyone's favorite, is on the cover of the most recent <laughs> issue. They're going to release it with. And two- when you think CNET, you think LL. I right? do. <laughs> I'm going back to Cali, man. Two hundred thousand. We'll call it a comeback. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna. You're gonna make me start rapping here. Two hundred thousand copies of the inaugural issue. What's most interesting, and I want you to go ahead and look this up. Uh, the link when you get to the the show notes page, but. The, the guy from CBS Interactive, which owns CNET, is talking about the future for their brand is in multi-platform. And they're coming back and they're looking at all of their brands and saying, look, yes, we know it's digital. We know it's television. We know there's movies. But there's also a place for print. And I just thought that that was interesting. Fantastic. I love it. 
Because nobody's... Th- I mean, I think there is actually a little bit of... More people are thinking about it because I'm talking about it all the sure. time. Somebody's going to well, listen Well, because to you're me. talking about yeah, it. I'm sure time. they made this decision because I've been talking right. about it. But I think that's interesting is as we're thinking about the experience we're trying to create for our customers, we have to look at the, the three legs of the stool. We've got print, we've got digital, we've got in-person experiential events. Print is one of those yeah. legs of the stool. So hats off to CNET for, for doing that. I, I really appreciate it. All right. Well, I have a little bit of a rant and a little bit of a rave. Um, so I want to start off by raving about an article. Um, weirdly and ironically, both my rant and my rave come from Ad Age articles. Um, and so maybe that shouldn't be completely shocking, but um, it, was, it was interesting to me. Anyway, the first is my rave. And it comes from an article about Kraft, who, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you know that I am Julie Fleischer, who is running the content and data program over there. I am, like, one of her biggest fanboys. I What they're doing over there is nothing short of just remarkable. Um, they actually, there's an article about her, and it's a presentation that she gave um, at the Ad Age Data Conference in New York. And basically, the headline of the article is that it, uh, Kraft says it rejects 75% to 85% of digital ad impressions due to quality concerns. And the article itself goes on to talk about how they have this whole program into place where they have actually started to look at the efficacy and actually quality of ad fraud, banner ad fraud in the servers and all that kind of stuff. And really, this is kind of an, you know, an outrageous statement, 75 to 85%, but they have the data to back it up, which is really, really interesting. What does that have to do with content marketing? Not a lot. But what I wanted to know was how did their content program inform their ability to have this insight? And I wondered. So I actually reached out to Julie and I said, is this true? You know, is my hypothesis here that because you actually have a lot of your own data, your own insight into what your audiences are doing because your audience is 3 million strong. So they actually have a pretty decent sample size to be able to compare to in terms of quality. And she said, no, actually, they're a little bit separate at the moment, but they actually are working on exactly that. And what she said, and this is where I wanted to just rave a little bit, was she's talking about the quality of first uh, first quality data, first person data. In other words, they have third-party data that they're buying now. What they're realizing, and this is something she did cover in the presentation but actually wasn't covered in the article, is how high quality their data is versus what they can buy anywhere on the street. The third-party data right now is in a world of hurt. Despite what you may hear, the quality is not that great. So if you're looking for a business case to talk about why content marketing is important, the data that you can pull from those audiences and the quality of that data will become an asset in your business. It will become a differentiating asset, I contend. And that is just an amazing thing. So it's not only the emotional and thought leadership relationship you can develop with an audience, but it's also the data you can derive, which may be differentiating from any other data provider on the planet. That is true value. And I just, I love that whole idea. All right, now my rate, my rant. So this also comes from AdAge, and a huge hat tip to Carl Yeah up in Canada 
for pointing this out. Um, this was uh, the title of this one was "Media Companies Strike Gold with Sponsored Content." This article is such a mess. This is a, just a continuation of what Joe was talking about yesterday. Basically, the article starts out with this whole thing. Media companies say they've struck gold in the form of content marketing. Okay, you've got my attention. I'm reading on. Then they say, during the third quarter at least, recent quarterly earnings reports show that the practice of disguising ads as non-commercial content, whether that content is from an article, from a professional newsroom, or a Facebook post from your aunt is doing revenue giants a variety of media companies from the New York Times to LinkedIn. All right, so you've already heard it go off the rails, right? So, But it just even goes further because they then go on to call it native advertising. They call it sponsored content at one point. They go on to conflate con- sponsored content to social advertising with the revenue to native advertising to content promotion like Yahoo and Outbrain and then content marketing. And then the sort of piece de resistance is they actually call it content advertising, which I, this term I've not heard before, but content advertising. And then basically they quote somebody from the IAB, which is always where I go to get my source on content marketing is the, in, uh, anyway. So content advertising is not a fad, he says. Um, the, anyway, I'm off on a rant here and it's just sloppy reporting. This, if you wanna cover content marketing, native advertising, sponsored content, brand journalism, whatever you wanna call it, Please go do the work and find out what it really is. Don't conflate all these things together because some of them are fantastic. Some of them are strategies. Some of them are just advertising wrapped in a different package. Some of them are completely have nothing to do with content marketing. And all of them deserve to be reported carefully. End of rant. Well, the one thing on content advertising, if you remember, when Story Worldwide was purchased... Oh right! Remember they called it content, content advertising, advertising, and I and it was interesting is because Story always used post advertising, the world without you know right. after That's right. advertising. I remember that, now. and then in the purchase called it content advertising, and I'd never seen them Story talk about that before. So I'm Simon Kelly. This is for you, buddy. I want to know like how did they how did you change your tune <laughs> on that one? So it's interesting. It's. It's, I'm wondering, I mean, that we've, we've heard that now twice in the last four weeks. I'm wondering if content advertising is going to be, because that seems to be the, the native advertising, If like we need another term, right? Oh, my God. Here we go. Well, there's another one. I, I forgot to tell you, Joe, I've just started the Content Advertising Institute. <laughs> Hold on. I'm, I, let me go to GoDaddy right now, and I've got to take the, yeah. I've got to get the URL. All right. Just make sure you get contentadvertising.guru, will you? Just make sure you get that. I'm sorry, just so everybody that's listening to this, please don't buy any .guru. Domain. I bought contentmarketing.guru for the sole purpose is that nobody so, else could buy it. Well, I thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Because, but if you start using it, if I, we start it, using no, it. No, it goes, I don't know where it goes now, but it certainly doesn't go anywhere interesting. That awesome site. Okay. Um, I have this whole marketing. And I was looking through the Polizzi archives in the past, and I found, again, Concept to Reality magazine. I have this image of the Polizzi archives, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, the last scene of walking through that warehouse, pulling out the old magazine. Hey, yeah, we had to go through that. Yes, I had to go down halls and halls of content marketing examples, and I pulled out this wonderful example called Content Concept to Reality Magazine. We, call, we used to call it C2R, and I worked on this in, at Penton 
in 2003-2004. So it's well over 10 years. It's produced by a design engineering company called Altair Engineering, a fantastic company in Michigan. They do amazing work, fast-growing company. I used to work with my good friend Mike Kidder, who's a, the, I think he's the chief marketing officer at Altair Engineering now. And what I loved about this is that the whole goal about doing concept to reality, so they're, they're basically talking to engineers all the time, how to use product services, what's going on in the industry, industry trends, but what they found out in their sales process is that they weren't getting in front of uh, the, the chief, chief executive officers, the decision makers above the engineers. So whoever's leading the engineering activities, the purchasing, procurement people, they're trying to get in front of those people and they weren't able to do it and they said, well, how do we get around all these gatekeepers and figure this out? They said, well, let's try a magazine. Tried a magazine, and what they started to do was after a few issues of this, they started to get then, then pushed down to the engineers. Hey, do you know about this company? What's going on? I like this article. They actually got a couple direct calls from CEOs saying, hey, I really like this. Can you tell me more about it? They're not talking about products in here, by the way. They're just talking about what's going on in the industry, some really good trend stuff. So their whole goal was to get in front of these people so that they weren't talking. The engineers didn't always make the decision. Exactly. Like, how do we get around them? They created a print publication for that. Lo and behold, still 10 years later, I check on. They've got a little bit different design, which I like. Concept to Reality magazine is still alive and well. They've got a current issue. Why engineering intuition is not enough. Using analysis to innovate with new materials. Some, I mean, they're doing some really, really good stuff. So hats off to Altair Engineering for keeping this going. And that is our This Old Marketing example. I love that one. I, and one of the reasons I love that one so much is because, we, I mean, we're about to do the wor- workshop tomorrow. And we talk about this in the master class where we talk about that you should never have a problem developing a who to develop a story for or develop an audience for because... In many times, we're in a B2B situation and we're like, well, our engineers don't read content or the C-level doesn't read content and they don't read blogs and that sort of thing. But there is an influencer who does in that purchase decision. And whether you go up the food chain and you're attracting the CEOs who then influence the purchase decision further down the road, or you go down the food chain to try and engage somebody who will be much more amenable to your brand once you actually get to that stage of the funnel, there is a who that can influence the purchase decision and can move that business forward. And, and I love that story for that for that simple thing. Mm-hmm. Now it says it's going to over 50,000 industry professionals in executive and engineering management. So hats off to them for, wow. for keeping it going all these times. So it's, it's like something that I was doing at Penton is still going on. Well, that's it's, good. Isn't that nice? Yeah, that's nice. So That's just, nice, Joe. That kind of warms my heart. Ah, oh, that's nice. Well, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of warming your heart, so we have our master class tomorrow. That's but right. then But then are you going home? Where do you go from here? Uh, I'm going, yes, back home. Uh, and then I'm basically, I mean, I know you've got quite a schedule. I'm going I back do. home and I'll leave you to do, you, what are you, what, you're in Atlanta after this? That's right. I go to Atlanta to speak at the UC, I get the acronym, UPCEA conference. It's basically for uh, marketers of higher education, marketers of universities and stuff. They invited me to come out and do a That's keynote so nice. workshop. It's in Atlanta That's and it's nice. very close and it's so, it's. I thought I would do it. And then I'm off to see the good folks at Federal Express actually to do a marketing workshop, content marketing workshop for them on Thursday and then I'm home and then the weekend, and then I'll see you again on we're in, Sunday for in New York for in, yet another masterclass. Absolutely, so it'll be it'll be fun, and this has been this has been nice. This we, is, might yeah. be another year before we do it again, though. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> it will be our one year anniversary in New York together. So what are we gonna do for that? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to we'll, figure that one out. It, uh, it'll be yeah. All right. <laughs> 
That is it for us, for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And remember, send us a review from November 3rd to November 9th. We're going to pick somebody at random. Just randomly, just randomly, random. just, just randomly pick random. somebody. That's right. And do tweet us up, you know, hashtag this old marketing with the stories, with all your ideas. It's so awesome. Or send us an email at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode 51, do consider subscribing at iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links for everything we talked about are available at thisoldmarketing.com. And be sure to tune in next week for our one-year anniversary show. Remember, folks, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on the one-year anniversary of This Old Marketing.